0: Mark chapter 7, 14 through 23. It's a joy to be with you and open the Word of God with you this morning. In many ways, what we're going to be looking at today is a continuation of what we studied last week in Mark 7, 1 through 13. Now, as many of you know, because they at one time attended this church, I grew up in a home with five brothers and one sister. And uh, that could have been a great detriment to my understanding of what it means to be clean if it had not been for the saintly cleaning abilities of my mother. My five brothers and I weren't uh, the cleanest of all young men. Most of our day was spent either uh, working or playing hard outside. And anyone that has sons or brothers knows well the audacious perfume of sweaty boys. But my mother not only kept our home clean and fresh, she taught us to clean to her standards as well. But just the other day, I discovered that there has come onto the market, and I'm being serious, a new technology that is, for all its wondrous cleaning abilities that my mother may have had, would probably have sent her into a cleaning depression for many, many years if this technology had been available during my growing up years. And this is what the technology is. It's really quite simple. It takes a spray bottle, your, your, your spray cleaning bottle... And it makes one change on that bottle. And the change is, they have installed a black light on that bottle. So you go to your clean doorknob or your clean kitchen table or your clean toilet or your clean sink. And you turn on that light and it reveals all the spots that you have missed with that first swipe of cleanliness. Now, I don't know about you but if uh, you were cleaning well and then went back and shone that light on it it would probably be quite revolting to see the amount of dirt that is still left behind after you cleaned it well in many like way, like in a like manner today's passage here we see the word of god it's going to take the black light of truth and it's going to shine it upon the jewish nation and in like manner us as well and it will help us to think about what is clean. What we think is clean is really quite filthy. What we think has been scrubbed well and changed and modified is actually really quite disgusting. What we think maybe is polished is actually revoltingly polluted. We're going to understand this morning the truth that the contamination of humanity is defined by God, not by men. That the contamination of humanity is defined by God, not by men. The difficulty of, of such truth is that unlike the black light on a few missed spots on the bathroom sink, there's not a simple, fi- simple fix for the contamination of humanity. There's not something you can just go back over with and sort of scrub it clean. Not a, not a few rounds of, of Comet, if you will, or 409 can, can clean the human heart. It requires a radical action by God, unachievable by any man, woman, or child. Now, if you're looking at your passage in your Bible this morning, I've divided our passage into two sections to help us see that the contamination of humanity is defined by God, not by men. Point number one, our contamination is inward, not outward. Our contamination is inward, not outward. And then point number two here in a few minutes. Our contamination is defined by God. Let's look at point one. Look with me at verse 14 through 19. Our contamination is inward, not outward. 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. of the ministry of Jesus Christ is the preaching of the word. And he does so here again. And he called all the people to him and he spoke to them. And he gives them a word. The topic is certainly defilement or in, if you want to use the word of the, in the title there, inward contamination, contamination. It's a continuation from the previous 13 verses in Mark chapter seven. We looked at that last week. And you'll remember from last week that the Pharisees and the scribes had come and they confronted Christ on the fact that the disciples were eating without washing their hands. And it seemed quite trivial to us that we would even then somehow sort of get some practical application about why are these Pharisees and scribes confronting Christ on the washing of hands? It seems so trivial for our day. And we noted that the issues behind the question was not one of contamination from unwashed hands, but of who had authority to determine what was clean and unclean or what was defiled or not defiled or what was contaminated or not contaminated. The Pharisees and the scribes had brought in the tradition of the elders to to equality with the word of God. So they had taken the law of God, they had added more to it, and in their adding to it, as we see in verse 13, of Mark 7, had actually voided the word of God. They had added to it, they'd subtracted from it, they'd shaped, they'd molded the system to what they wanted it to be. Now, if you were there that day, if you weren't a scribe or a Pharisee, you were simply of Jewish descent, the word that Christ had just spoken to you one sentence along would have radically changed your life. In fact, if you were a scribe or a Pharisee hearing this instruction from Jesus, you would have been livid. Because in verses 1 through 13, he not only called you a hypocrite and gave an explanation of your hypocrisy, now in verse 14 and 15... He removed the foundation of the entire religious system, that being external cleanliness, their foundation. But what is absolute mind-boggling to those hearing Christ that day is that the religious system of cleanliness was given to them by God in Leviticus 11. The contrast would have been stark. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of these things about cleanliness, okay, sure, we've added a few things, and we've taken some away, and we've changed, but all those, you're the one who gave us the basic, now you're telling us that no longer applies? Now you're telling us that we can eat things that previously you said we couldn't eat? It was a new day, and the Messiah had come, Christ, the Son of God, had come and he was bringing about a new day. And I really think it's very impossible. It's nigh impossible for us as New Testament Christians today, 2016, sitting here this morning, to realize the radical nature, the unfathomable nature of what Christ had just said to them in one sentence. And the best analogy I could think to help sort of shape our minds around what they would have been feeling is to describe this scenario to you. So this morning, the service comes to an end, and you get up, and you go out into the foyer or the front lawn or wherever it is, and and another person comes to you, and this is what they say in one sentence. This week, I was doing some research on adoption statistics in the state of Texas and discovered that you were adopted at birth. Now, let that sink in a bit. For someone who knows they've been adopted, it's a wonder and a delight of the love of their adopted parents. But, it, but if you were someone that didn't know that you had been adopted, in one sentence, everything you knew about life would be thrown into complete question. You would be utterly shocked, and you'd probably be completely confused. The amount of questions you would have could fill an entire book. What was the surrounding situation? How did my adopted parents find me? And on and on and on. To receive the unknown news would change your perception of your entire life lived and how you view your life left to be lived. And in like manner, that is exactly what that one sentence of Christ did to the Jewish nation. Everything changed. Full stop. Everything going forward is different now. Life was not going to be the same. And it took a while for that to sink in. So much so that Peter, who's, who's even sitting right there listening to Christ say these words, takes much time to even fully understand the extent of the teaching. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Look with me, beginning at verse 9. This is in the context of Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion centurion there, as you see in verse 1, who was known as the Italian cohort. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. And he... Then sends for Peter out of a vision that God gives to him. And so here, in verse nine, we pick up the narrative. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, the, the journey being those who were coming to get Peter, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. the voice came to him again a second time what God has made clean do not call common this happened three times and the thing was taken up to heaven Christ in inaugurating this day of change for the Jewish community in like manner is saying now no longer is your relationship with God based upon birth or sacrificial system but it's based upon a belief of the work of Jesus Christ. And so for us as Gentiles in 2016, this is marvelous news. Because we're now no longer the unclean, unable to enter into that relationship. We are the ones who have been drawn by a love, by the love of God into right relationship with him. Brothers and sisters, in like manner to the radical nature of this message to the Jews that day, we have been told radical news that forever changes our past and our future. We have been told by the Word of God that because of our belief in Jesus Christ, we are now adopted sons and daughters of the King by the grace and mercy of God. That radically changes everything in the past and everything that is still to come. Nothing's the same anymore because of that one sentence. We are now sons and daughters of the King because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, isn't it at times difficult to get our minds wrapped around that truth about this life-changing event and our hearts want to even slip back into what we've always known, sin, and yet God lovingly draws us back to the truth that we are now a new creation in Christ. That is mercy. He doesn't have to do that. And yet he does it in love for us, his children. Now you will notice that the Pharisees, back in Mark, if you turn back over to Mark 7, you will notice that the Pharisees identified physical uncleanness, and Christ corrects them by talking about the heart. Now, he's not meaning the central organ of your body, but the central organ of your soul. And the Pharisees probably had a bit of a difficulty in understanding that. We know that they did because even the disciples had a bit of a difficulty understanding that and Christ had to explain this to them. That the food, whether it was the right or the wrong kind, was now no longer the symbol of righteousness. But Christ, in that one statement, wiped the ceremonial law for the Jews, clean, but magnified for all of us the moral law. Or you could say he magnified the internal contamination versus the outward contamination. He notes the heart. It says there in verse 18, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart? He's using the physical analogy there, but he's meaning the the. Physical, or the spiritual organ of your soul, it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now, lest we get carried away this morning and eat our way through a stick of butter and a half gallon of ice cream for a snack, he said, "Foods clean, Past the haagen He's not meaning simply that now that all foods are clean, that the Jews or us are free to do whatever we want with our bodies. Not at all. We know that our, temple, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are to glorify God with our Bible bodies. First Corinthians 6 tells us that all things are lawful for me, but all, not all things are helpful. Christ is simply making the point that That our contamination before God is inward, not outward. The point isn't about food at all. The point is about where we find our contamination or where we find our where our judgment will be settled upon, not outwardly, but inwardly. And this should have great application for us as parents and, and even for us as we live our lives out personally as we confront sin in our lives, or as we help our children see their sin, we have to help them understand the root heart issue, not the external outcome. It's not simply, tell your brother you're sorry because you hit him. It's helping them understand, tell your brother you're sorry because of the inward heart attitude. It's not simply going to a wife, my wife and confessing my sin. It's And telling her, I'm sorry I did that wrong thing. It's going to her identifying I recognize the sin of my heart. Point one, our contamination is inward, not outward. And point number two now, our contamination is defined by God. Our contamination is defined by God. Look with me at verses 20 through 23. Put your eyes on the text for me, if you will. Mark 7. This is a this is a list I don't think anybody wants to, to read just out of the joy of reading scripture. This is really a, a list of great sin, a revolting level of sin. Look, look with me there, verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, so now Christ is going to define the contamination of our hearts. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slandered, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick, or your translation may say desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, God, search the heart, test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. That word defiled, as you find in 23, 23 is the word koina'a, koina'o, and it literally means to make common. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, remember, God has called us not to be common, but uncommon. He's called us to be set apart. He's called us to be holy. He's, he's brought us out all the language of Scripture that talks about how we are not here, but now we're here with God. And all these sins that are defined for us in 21 and 22 are common, Or we could say are common to man. They're part of what it means to be a man. Part of what it means to be a human. And yet, as creatures in Christ, new creatures, that's not to be our list anymore. Calvin says on that passage, For since God had set apart the Jews on the condition that they should separate themselves from all the pollutions of the Gentiles everything that was inconsistent with this holiness was called common, that is profane. Now, I want you to picture in your mind now your favorite dessert. Whether gluten-free or sugar-free, whatever it is, unhealthy or whatever it is, that, that as you set your mind on it even now, in your hunger of 12 o'clock your taste buds begin salivating mine is I don't know what yours is okay now keep that there now go with me to the country of Haiti some of you have been there and if you go to the slums of Haiti it's beyond disgusting the filth is beyond our understanding. Open sewage, puddles of filth, disease. There's no square millimeter of cleanliness. A black light turned on might be broken. It's just, it's disgusting. So you find yourself now in the slums of Haiti, and you're sitting down. You're sharing the gospel. Comes to lunchtime, and you think, oh, this is so disgusting, but, 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 dessert at lunch today is that favorite dessert that I have just loved, whatever it is. And so as you, as you get to your lunch and you unwrap that, for me, piece of pound cake made by my mom, just kind of gooey on the bottom, this little child comes running up to you to see what it is, and he bumps you, and whoo, pound cake just falls flat. And in in Haiti, in that area of the slums, it's not just on a little bit of dusty dirt and you can kind of take the five second rule and brush off some crumbs. No, no, no. it's, It's completely contaminated. And what was once something I just longed for and treasured and delighted in and couldn't imagine the amount of pleasure I would gain from this has now become something that's Absolutely revolting to me. I don't. I not only do not want it any longer. I don't even want it in my presence. Now, in a minute way, that is our heart in sin before a holy God, who has made us and created us and delighted in us, and and done all. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's created all heaven. Go back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was only God, and God created all things, and it was all good. It was all beautiful. And he creates man and his woman, and everything's perfect. And then they did exactly what we do. They they rebelled. And when we, in like kind, rebel, That sin is an affront against a holy God as if that now soggy piece of delicious, once delicious cake is something that is just a horrid piece of contamination that we want to fling from us. That's exactly what it is in a small way to how God must deal with sinners, must remove them from his presence because he is perfect. And yet... Does this not highlight the love of God? He, everything in God, in justice, in holiness, must, must remove that from as far as it possibly can go. Us is far from him because of the sin of our hearts. And yet he doesn't. He doesn't destroy us in his wrath as we deserve right now to be destroyed. He waits patiently, kindly. I don't know how he would do that we are we have have contaminated we are contaminated and that contamination cannot be in the presence of a holy God I don't know about you this morning but as I was thinking about this list this week of 21 and 22 you know it really should be no surprise to us what we see in our public election cycle right now this is it's been right there For years, decades, hundreds of years. That passage, 21, 22, that's all we see. And yet you know, do you know that if you took took one day of the depth of my heart that Jeremiah says, I have no ability to even understand and displayed on this screen the depth of depravity of the sin of my heart on that screen, it would make Trump and Hillary look like newborn innocent babes. And it's the same for every one of us. This is the depravity of our heart. And we can't just stop at the first one because you sort of go, e- evil thoughts. Because this list is defined by God. If you and I define this list, it would be something to the effect of, okay, I've got a, a bit of an addiction issue. Or I cheated on my taxes. Okay, that's bad. Okay, exaggerated that tale, okay, compared a little bit with this person. Nothing that a good lawyer and a good cleaning up would fix, right? But th- this can't be fixed by a good lawyer or a scrubbing or, or a, a program or whatever it is. None of these can be because there's, there are things that are within us, not things that are without us. This list is defined by God. It's not defined by men. And because it's defined by God, for you today, for us today, when you hear the fact that God is perfect, we are contaminated to the point of deadness in our sin, and it's a list defined by God, that truth right there either leaves you on one side of the coin or the other. Either one, that's the most terrifying thought you can possibly have, I can't do anything about my contamination and a perfectly holy God is going to do something about it or it's the most wonderful, beautiful thought you've ever had and it all centers on who do you see Jesus Christ as? If Jesus Christ is simply a mere man with good teachings, it's a horrid thought but if he's the perfect son of God sent by God in love for us, then we see that sin and the fact that God's the only one who can deal with it as our only hope because he dealt with it. We sin and we run from God just like our forefathers Adam and Eve did. But God, as promised, came and dealt with our sin. He knew this list before you and I were created. Before you and I were born, he knew Cody Carnett's going to have evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And if that's not enough, all these evil things. And he said, I love you. Now, I don't know if that's amazing grace or not, but I don't think there can be anything else more amazing than that. That he knows this and then yet says, but I have chosen you and called you and redeemed you, and saved you, and changed you. See, this is really a glorious passage for the believer. Because if this passage was just about how we're supposed to keep ourselves looking good on the outside, we are without hope. But the fact that this passage defines contamination of the inward nature by God, then the truth is that only God can deal with the inward contamination of the heart. And he has dealt with it. And so if you sit here today and you realize that that contamination of my heart has not been dealt with, I have not seen Christ as sufficient to pay for those sins. I have not realized that I cannot sort of clean up my act and hope for the best, that God is holy and will punish sin. Then I plead with you, see the wonder of Jesus Christ on that cross for you, dying for you, and is now raised and promises resurrection for you and life eternal with him forever. It's a choice. You have the opportunity to make it this morning. You're you're here, you're sitting under the preaching of the word. The song in as well comes to mind. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. First Corinthians 6 tells us this almost exact same list. And you know what it says? And such were some of you. This is not the list that defines me or defines you any longer. Because we have been changed by God through an inward regeneration of the heart. He's taken a heart that is so contaminated, there's nothing in it good, according to Romans 3. And he's removed it and he's replaced in it a heart, a flesh. A heart that is no longer an animosity to God, but loves God. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If you today have not trusted Christ, then respond by belief in the work of Jesus Christ for you. Repent of your sin, and you, might be a, you will be a useful vessel. Not a contaminated one, but a useful vessel for the glory of God response is simply that christ has paid the penalty for your sin believing in him and then turning from your sin what a joy to know that in first peter 2 9 we are told that we are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light what an excellent god we serve that has determined that contamination is not outward, but it is inward, and has dealt with that contamination appropriately. Let's pray. Father, reading this list of sin, this is, it's as if looking in a mirror That's my sin. That's our sin. But we thank you, Father, that you have dealt with our sin through Christ. And that, Father, through Christ, you provide grace upon grace upon grace to fight that sin, to not be enslaved by it, to change, to repent. Father, why is it so oftentimes surprising that we look out to this world or we look into our own lives and we see the amount of sensuality or we see the amount of wickedness or we see the amount of evil thought? Why are we surprised by that? Disgusted we should be, but surprised, no. No. Because you've told us, Father, this is, this, these are simply the fruits of what is in. And we thank you, Father, that the solution is not anything other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that we might see this week just that much more of the joy of what it means to be a child of the King, to have our Lord and perfect Savior. To realize that these sins that are not to be named among us can be fought against, and ultimately the battle has been won against by your Son. We thank you, Father, for the promise of eternal life that we will never, for eternity, have to deal with these sins again. We will have no inclination for them. We will have no desire for them. We will have no ability to work them out. We thank you for the work you're doing in us and through us even now to grow and change into the image of your son Christ. May you gain glory from our lives this week. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen.